Hello everybody, good to be back with you over the airwaves or the ether of the internet. It's been uh, a blessing to share with all of you, um, I guess for me early. It's actually Friday night this week, um, a little early this, this week. It's not usually this early that I finish and record. It's usually tomorrow on Saturdays that I wrap up and get the recording turned in and then you guys listen more than likely on Sunday mornings but um, so I'm doing pretty good this week uh, with a, a, a pretty interesting text that we'll get to in just a moment but just like to say hello <clears throat> to all of you uh, some of you are listening uh, from the internet who've uh, latched on to our uh, website our manual website, or are listening, perhaps for the first time, maybe the second or third time. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we are doing this primarily for our um, members who are staying away uh, during the COVID season uh, for safety and uh, to uh, protect themselves from other, uh, with other um, conditions and whatnot. But um, we miss you guys and and are hoping and praying that this ends eventually uh, and soon, and we can see you guys back in fellowship at the church. But uh, welcome to all of you. Uh, this has been a, a fun time, uh, an interesting time, but a blessed time. So without any further ado, we are going to consider uh, this week, Hebrews 6, start chapter 6 today, with verses 1 through 8. So I'm going to read the text and pray, and then we will begin. Again, Hebrews 6, 1-8, hear the word of God. Our writer writes, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, <clears throat> and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burnt. Amen. May God bless this reading of his word to our hearts, minds, and lives. Amen. <clears throat> okay, it's a sobering text, and I've been kind of warning about this text for the last couple of weeks. It's, it's a passage in Hebrews that has always sobered me up when I come across it, and it's, it's sobering in that it, it is speaking to people in the pew in churches with their names on the roll, people who claim Christ and, and come every Sunday and worship Him and, and do and experience many of the things that we do in the church. And yet, Many, or at least some, a number, are not even believers. Not really, not regenerate, not redeemed. 
So it's sobering that way. It, it heralds the reality of apostasy that someone who claims Christ can eventually uh, uh, fall away and forsake the faith. And as such, it, it warns the believer of self-deception, of being self-deceived, and the dangers of sin. So it's very sobering that way. It causes us to reflect. It's, it's you know, a discipline we should always be doing. We should always be judging ourselves and looking at ourselves uh, according to the Word, uh, against the backstop of the love of Christ and the work of Christ. But that goes on. But our, our author does encourage us with clear direction here in, the, in these eight verses of Hebrews 6, first, through, first eight verses. He gives us clear direction and biblical understanding in what I'm going to suggest are three commands or, or three admonitions for the growing Christian. The first one in verses 1, 2, and 3 is simply move on. You've laid the foundation of your faith. Let's get moving. Let's build on it. Let's not keep laying a foundation and keep building upon the building around the, the the foundation that's already there. Move on. Build up. Secondly, in verses four, five, and six, the admonition is simply don't be that guy. Now this this will bear some explaining when we get to it. I was having a little bit of fun here. Actually, with the most sobering part of the text, see that guy over there, don't be that guy. <clears throat> and we're going to see why one of these admonitions for the growing Christian is to watch what happens with folks who fall away and do not behave that way. Look at what's happening and make sure that, again, you're right with the Lord and producing fruit and moving forward. And that producing of fruit is actually the last point in verses 7 and 8. Bear spiritual fruit. When our author goes back to a botanical or agricultural um, a picture of the believer. So let's go back to the beginning here and begin to unpack with uh, this admonition, this first admonition for the growing Christian, move on. Our writer, our author, begins the sixth chapter with, again, this admonition to leave the elementary or beginning principles or word of Christ. The beginning doctrines that we, we come to know <clears throat> when we first come to Christ. If you've grown up in the church, these were the first things that uh, you were aware of. Just the highlights of redemption, the highlights of the Christian life if you will, the highlights of sanctification. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and go on to maturity. So he's admonishing us to move on from the foundation once it is built of these elementary principles. Now we're about to go through them here, but our author, the Holy Spirit, the scripture would the scripture desires that we that we go on to maturity. Now that's a word in the original that means a sustained and supported progress. Uh, it's passive in its voice, so it's something that's happening to us. We're being taking, we're being taken forward. Uh, at times, we're taking ourselves forward. We're taking each other's forward. It's one of the the graces of the body of Christ. One of the body life principles is that we go forward together. We kind of lock onto each other and make sure no one's left behind. 
we grow together, we, um, we are sanctified together, we finish together, we mature together in the church. So let's leave the beginning, the introductory, the foundational principles of Christ and go on to maturity. And here's where he begins to listen. Now there are going to be six things here, actually three pairs of two, uh, foundational principles of Christianity, and I imagine that there would be more if we really thought about it, but for our author, these are the ones that are primary in his mind. <clears throat> and the first one is, uh, don't lay down <clears throat> or lay again, don't lay a foundation again of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Uh, now, these sounds like good things, and the, our author's not telling us not to remember them, and to fall back on them at times. We live on our foundation, remember. But we're not always building it. He says, lay the foundation of repentance from dead works. That is, dead works being our works <clears throat> outside of Christ, which can't save us. We have to repent from uh, being self-sufficient. We have to repent from our sin. And uh, that's that gracious ability God gives us, that change of the mind, metanoia. To, to repent of our sin and have faith, have that gift, and acknowledge that gift that uh, is God's gift to us, uh, savingly. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's a gift, lest any man should bow. So uh, we understand that. Those were the founding principles of our redemption. Move on. Let's get going. Let's go on to what we will now build on that foundation. Last week I mentioned to you, a um, little neighbor girl next door, that it, it seemed almost weekly, or every time we actually talked to her, she was very pleased to again announce to us that she had recommitted herself to Christ. And the more I think about it, that's exactly what our author's talking about here. Let's not lay this foundation again of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. It's okay, that's great. You, you trust in Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. Let's get off of that. Let's not get off of it, but let's <clears throat> let's build on it. Let's put the walls up. Let's put the uh, ductwork in. Let's put the uh, the uh, drywall in, the carpet, the electrical work. Let's keep building on that foundation. We don't leave it, but we do build on it. Don't keep going back to the beginning, or you're going to find yourself all the time spiritually on a cement slab with nothing covering you. So, again, move on from that. <clears throat> so, don't lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. That was the first pair. Second pair is this instruction about warnings or washings and the laying on of hands. Now, the washings, there, the washings are the word baptizo, baptism, which really is a washing. When we're baptized, it's a symbol of washing, uh, the washing of regeneration. <clears throat> uh, when we first got saved or when we were uh, first baptized, we may have been an infant, or later when we made our public profession of Christ, it, it represents coming into the covenant umbrella. It, it represents uh, regeneration that inaugural of the uh, individual into the, the household of God. Uh, it usually, for a believer being baptized, is a reference to having accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. So uh, many times the regeneration is um, 
is implied there or assumed. But actually, <clears throat> this could just as well be, as our writer is writing to a lot of uh, Christian Jews, the, the washings of the Old Testament. There was a lot of washing that went on around the worship of Israel, around the temple, and later the temple. Something was always being washed, if not the priests themselves, the instruments they used, the, the lavers and the bowls and all the instruments. Wash, wash, wash. And uh, again, New Testament baptism. And <clears throat> so those are things that are, uh, and it's important to remember, these were things that were done once. Well, the washings of the Old Testament around the tabernacle were done many times, but uh, ceremonial washings, basically, especially baptism, were mostly done once for all, and they were understood uh, as not having to be repeated. And you would keep moving. Um, again, you, you hear of people that have been baptized more than once or even several times. It's not necessary. These were rites that symbolized the beginning of something, uh, not the, the process, but the beginning and the being in the household of God. It wasn't something that was, that was done regularly over and over again. So baptisms, the laying on of hands, when I was ordained as a, as a pastor, as a teaching elder, I received the laying on of hands by the elders. But I've never had that done again. It was it was only necessary one time, and not a second or third time. The third pair here is the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Again, when we first come to Christ, these are some of the first things we learn. We've come away from our sin uh, because of God's gift of faith and changing our hearts, renewing our minds. He's given us this gift of faith. We've been baptized. These rituals that mean something um, temporally and eternally. Um, and now the resurrection of the dead. We're, we're going to, if we die in, uh, from this life, we'll, we'll rise again in the, in the general resurrection. Uh, Christ rose again from the dead. Uh, resurrection is one of the first things we hear about and accept in our faith. And finally, eternal judgment. The beginning, the end, everything in between, washings, uh, faith, um, all of that are the, the highlights, the main foundational highlights of the Christian faith. And so the thing is our author is, is admonishing us, don't get stuck on that. Accept it, embrace it. Um, master it, and then move on uh, with it. Keep building the house. Uh, again, a builder isn't always laying the foundation. He then begins to build upon the foundation. And verse 3, this, will, this we will do if God permits, may be our author's, um, maybe a couple of things. He may not feel like you'll have time to go back over founding principles again. Um, obviously, he wants to move on from them. Um, but <clears throat> he uh, he may be also wanting to um, add to that foundational uh, introductory doctrinal teaching uh, to connect to what he's going to do in chapter 7 and beyond. So either way, <clears throat> he is... Uh, is willing to deal with his readers and where they are. 
but he is anxious and desirous to move to the the weightier principles of the faith, which he will do uh, in very beautiful fashion uh, for the rest of the uh, the book. So basically, uh, growing Christian, keep moving, move on. Secondly, don't be that guy. Okay, now we're going to see who this person is that we are not to be, that we're going to be warned about, shown the example, and then admonished to to uh, deal with ourselves and to to pray for ourselves in that way and pray for each other that way and hold on to each other. It's a, the sobering text of Hebrews 6, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, it is impossible, our writer continues, in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, shared the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repent, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to, to uh, contempt. Now, <clears throat> okay, th- again, this is sobering, because you read that and you think, well, okay, <clears throat> everything here in verses 4, 5, and 6 look like the stuff of true redemption. Persons in the church, they've been enlightened. That's a word in the Greek that that is the word photizo. You can see the word light or photo in it, the idea of giving light, illumination, enlightenment, to make something known. Someone who's been enlightened is someone who has given assent to the truth, who acknowledges it, um, at least in an intellectual sense, he's acknowledging and giving assent to the truth of the claims of Christianity. But notice that giving an assent to something, being enlightened with the truth of something, is an assent to the truth, but it's not change that you experience by the truth. And it its effect it has its effects on the, the person but it doesn't change him or her. Um, I used to be members of the fitness center, at least I used to be, uh, for a long time. and uh, I would be doing my thing, working out, going to the pool. Uh, I always noticed, though, there was this one woman <clears throat> who was in the... Uh, uh, it was an accelerated workout regimen, I, I, the name of it escapes me right now but she was in there every day sweating working hard I mean no one could be working harder than her it seemed but I always noticed something somewhat unsettling that she never seemed to be getting better she never seemed to be uh, putting on any tone or or muscle mass it just seemed like nothing changed uh, she was working hard at it, but it wasn't changing her. Now, that's a purely physical um, counterpart to what I'm suggesting, that a person is in the church. They have been enlightened with the truth. Um, here they've tasted the heavenly gift. They've uh, been hearing the word of God. <clears throat> um And that's even spoken of here. They have tasted the heavenly gifts, shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, 
and the powers of the world to come. Just think of it, someone on the roll, maybe even grown up in the church, and they hear the word of God, they're enlightened with a lot of truth, uh, they've tasted the heavenly gift, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God. That word is used twice. Um, and it does simply mean to taste, like you're tasting food, but it highlights the, the visceral, palpable aspect of the, the glories and blessings of the church. You really are tasting the age to come of eternity, the church, uh, heaven, uh, when you're at church. It's a little bit of heaven on earth every Lord's Day, every corporate worship, every time the word's read and preached publicly. Uh, the people in, in the pews, the people uh, who are listening, are benefiting. They are um, themselves tasting of the things of God. Uh, they've shared in the Holy Spirit. There's that word from chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, Jesus participated in our flesh. Same word. We are participating in the things of God, in the things of heaven, in the things of the Holy Spirit. So, and that's what he's communicating here is that uh, people who are members of churches who go to church every Sunday are at the very least enjoying truth, light, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit among his people. They're hearing the word preached uh, and they're being partakers in the things of God and the Holy Spirit. And you really do taste of the goodness of the word of God when you hear it preached and the powers of the very real powers of the age to come. People see people come to Christ. They see lives change. They see the Lord do amazing things within the body of Christ. And they're affected by it. Who, who couldn't be? Who wouldn't be? Um, they're, uh, they witness these things closely, and they are affected by them, but they're not changed by them. Um, even though it's not a saving change, it is supernatural. It's, this is God, this presence of God in his church. Anyone coming in from the outside and being exposed to what happens when God's people gather, well, that's, that's supernatural, divine, spiritual stuff. It is in itself not necessarily redemptive. <coughs> Could be if the Lord decides to make it that, but... Someone can be uh, affected, affected, A-F-F-E-C-T-E-T-E-D, affected by the Holy Spirit without being redeemed by the Holy Spirit. Take Balaam in Numbers. He was actually filled with the Holy Spirit as he blessed Israel there in the valley, there on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, he was supposed to be um, cursing them, but when the Spirit took over, Balaam found himself... Uh, shouting praises and blessings to Israel there in the valley. Saul, uh, King Saul, we won't expect to see him in heaven one day, but the Spirit came on him at times and he prophesied. Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, Babylonian king that destroyed uh, Jerusalem and carried carried her people off in the first um, in that uh, deportation after destroying. Um, Jerusalem, he came under the power of the Spirit and prophesied or or recited truth about God and Yahweh. I still don't believe that he was redeemed, but the Lord came over him. 
that it wasn't redemptive. So there are these examples that we can see. Ultimate <clears throat> acts of ultimately many of these things are ultimately divine condemnation. Balaam, Saul, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the Lord uses and uses that person for a while, but then uh, the use is finished, and uh, uh, he is left to himself again. Turn with me to First John chapter two. It's always a text I, I think about when I'm here in Hebrews six. First uh, uh, John chapter two at verse eighteen. Uh, we read, children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they were not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So you see here, John is is saying that Antichrist or the apostate, and really that's what we're talking about here, apostasy, people who have been enlightened, enjoyed the, the, the presence of the Spirit, the things of the church, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit in the church and among its, uh, his people, and yet they leave, they, they, they fall away, they abandon the faith and condemn it and leave. Uh, these were never part of the church in the first place. Um, so here's the force of our authors, of the, the writer's concern here, is that it's impossible for such a person so enlightened who have enjoyed the, the uh, ministry of the word but has never, have never been changed by it, um, that when they do finally fall away, and that word to fall away is really the word for apostasy. It's to forsake or turn away or to be apostate, to deny the faith. And it's impossible then for the, to restore them to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, that's ESV, and holding him up to contempt. Uh, uh, in the original, the, it's literally crucifying once again the Son of God uh, to themselves, crucifying Christ again to the to themselves and holding him up to contempt. So, I mean, okay, so you got people in the pew, uh, members of the church who have who have given a profession of faith as Lord of, of Christ as Lord and Savior, but it doesn't last. They end up leaving or not growing, and it's like that old old saying, um, if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, then it must be a duck. But here it's like, well, what looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck is not a duck. It's something else entirely. Turn with me to First John again. We're going to be in First John again here. 
chapter 5, 1 through 5. Again, the apostle writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves a father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, again, it's not just simple belief. We talked about a simple assent um, a little earlier. Um, we give assent to certain truths. We say, yeah, that's that's cool, that's neat, that's... That's true, but it doesn't change me. It doesn't affect me. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed me with it. Um, So even though John is saying it is simple belief, it's more than just simple belief. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Obviously something else happened, not just giving assent that Jesus is the Christ and is God. Everyone who who loves a father loves whoever has been born of him. That's true, but it's going to be because of a heart change, and one that's measurable and noticeable by other believers. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. So you see that obedience and love for the Lord is, is crucial to and part and parcel of redemption. It's not just giving assent to a certain... A truth claim. It's it's uh, being changed and then embracing it in love for God, love for Christ and the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> uh, for someone who's only tasted of the goodness of heaven but not been changed by it, when they fall away, it's impossible that they re- be they be restored again to repentance. Now, <clears throat> you may be thinking, well, this. I thought there was only one unforgivable sin. It looks like there's two that people like this, when they fall away and, and go apostate, that they can't be restored, they can't be forgiven again. Well, I like to think of it this way. Apostasy, or the unforgivable sin as we know it from the gospel, is um, simply the, the claim that uh, the work of Christ is evil and what Jesus does is evil and it's actually Satan's work. That's, uh, that is um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, not forgivable. I mean, if you really mean it, if it's coming from the heart of, heart of apostasy and evil, then you're done. Now, <clears throat> apostasy, though, <clears throat> as opposed to the unforgivable sin I've just mentioned, seems to me to be a process. It, it grows over time, or it devolves over time. It happens over time. One's an act, one's a process. Um, It's a, again, a a literal falling away. It's uh, giving something up over time to where finally you can't stay. You don't want to stay in the church. You don't want to be around God's people because, well, you don't believe this stuff anymore, and um, you're leaving. So... In one sense, it's like the unforgivable sin, but apostasy is serious. It's a rejection of Christ that is final. Um, and it, it, again, harkens back to a reality of never having been 
part of the church in the first place, never having enjoyed true regeneration and the changed heart and the renewed renewed mind. So in their apostasy, in their falling away, they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. Now when we take communion, we're celebrating uh, Christ's sacrifice once again, but we're not re-crucifying him. We're not mocking him on the cross. We're not holding him up to contempt. Remember in the Gospels as Jesus is has been crucified and he's, he's hanging there suffering and dying and publicly shamed. He's hanging there naked basically on a cross, bleeding and dying. What else was going on? Well, the Pharisees were standing around the cross. They were within voice distance at the cross. And they were shouting things like, come down if you if you can, uh, save yourself. If you are who you say you are, then do something about it. Ha, ha, ha. They were mocking him. They were making a public disgrace of him. Um, and like that is people today in the church. They, they hear, enjoy, know the gospel, and ultimately basically say, there's nothing to see here. I'm, I'm ultimately and finally unimpressed. With that, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 9. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. Now, this is a familiar admonition of Paul to Timothy, pastor in Ephesus. Uh, he used to be his, his uh, travel mate on so many of his trips and travel. He says, but understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Now notice something before I move on. These are people in the church that Paul is talking about here. And they could be part of Timothy's congregation in Ephesus. Now let that sink in. These, these are members of the church. These are people. That's why Paul says here, having the appearance of godliness, they're in church, they're in worship regularly, uh, Again, they're enjoying here the first verses 4 and 5. Um, uh, um, glories of the church and the Holy Spirit. But he continues here, Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to uh, um, arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified according to the regarding the faith, but they will not get far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was uh, with those two men. So you see, it's it's pretty obvious what's going on here. It's apostasy. It's a walking away from the faith. It's a rejection of it. It's a um, rejection of Christ and his work. 
and it's awful. It's it's um, it's final too. That's the kind of thing that you don't come back from, and that's what our authors is telling us here. It's impossible for someone like this, who've gotten as close to heaven as possible without being changed, that when they apostatize themselves, they fall away and leave to be restored again to repentance. They've, they're publicly disgracing Christ again as though he, he was still on the cross and they're down around his feet mocking him. So it's, it is sobering <clears throat> and it's scary in a very real sense. But I just leave you with, you know, see that guy? See that guy over there? Don't be that guy. Finally, Bear spiritual fruit. At the very end here, verses 7 and 8, our author uh, brings us forward a botanical or agricultural um, um, picture here of, of rain and the land and of crops and a, uh, a fruit. He says, land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those who whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. Now what I'm reading here is basically what happens in the church. Uh, the, the people of God, the land, uh, the hearts that are being ministered to by the word of God, uh, the people of God have drunk the rain that often falls on it, the, the word of God preached and read, the sacraments, the means of grace that adorn uh, the gathering of God's people. Uh, Christian families in the home, Christians, the body of Christ gathering for corporate worship. Um, God is blessing that. A, a crop of righteousness and obedience is being produced by the word of God in, on the good soil of good hearts or redeemed hearts. And so that process is useful to those for whose sake it's cultivated for the church, for the, for the Christian church for believers, and that receives blessing from God. It kind of reminds me of the second and third uh, ground or, or uh, grounds that are in the parable of the sower. The second and third seed are the, uh, the rocky soil that the seed falls on. It grows up, but there's no moisture to sustain it, and it dies. Uh, the... Um, the the third soil is the rocky soil, or the, the thorny soil, where the thorns choke out the plant and it dies. So, this is good land here in verse 7. It drinks in the rain that falls on it often. Uh, we are exposed weekly, daily, if, if we're involved in the spiritual disciplines of the scriptures. And we're receiving uh, the nourishment of the Word of God, its preaching, the reading of the Word, meditation on it, fellowship with God's people, the sacraments. And it's useful for us, for those of us who are taking it in, and God blesses the process. But if there's a land that bears thorns and thistles like these apostates, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So... Bear spiritual fruit. Again, our author is telling us, if you're growing in Christ, continue to move on. Continue to move on to maturity and completion and to be finished in your faith. Not, not 
perfect before death, or before glory, but you, you become a mature Christian. You're always honing, sharpening, and progressing, but grow up. Become an adult in the faith. Don't be that guy over there that's deceiving himself and believes he is a believer when he's not. He's not, he's not long for the pew because it's not going to last. And finally, bear spiritual fruit. Uh, we take in the word, we obey and love God and his people. We produce spiritual fruit, Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. With those fruits, we are seen to be the believers and the redeemed that we are. We bless one another. We bless others. And God returns a blessing to us and to his people, to his church. And that's what we trust in as here at Emmanuel. And here's, here's our love for one another to make sure that these things happen in each other's lives and to love each other through uh, the good times and the bad times. <coughs> and that we're examples to one another and encouraging one another all the time. I want to leave you with that. Um, uh, have a, a great day and a, a wonderful week. Uh, take these admonitions to heart. Uh, I trust that you're still growing in Christ. We all are. Uh, take these commands and admonitions to heart today and this week. Um, we can do all things in Christ, through Christ who strengthens us. And greater is, is he that is in us and he that is in the world. And Amen. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Be encouraged. And hang in there and, and keep moving and moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for its glory, its power, its majesty. Watch over us now, Father, through the rest of the day and the week. Protect us from harm. Protect us from evil. Lord, grow us together in faith and make us more like Christ every day, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>